Welcome back for the second time today to the Rainy Day Horror Show, okay? We both know it's Halloween, alright? So, I'm just gonna get, whoa, whoa, can't speak. I am just going to get on with this story, okay? You already know the whole gist. You already know who I am, okay? This story is about Martha Moxley, who was murdered on Halloween. Well, the day before, October 30th, found on Halloween. But it's a good, it's an interesting story, okay? This Halloween special involves the fucking Kennedys. Well, a sub-branch of the Kennedys. Different family members, but they're tied to the Kennedy family, okay? This is fucking crazy. It's a good story, okay? So, we're gonna get right into it. Make sure you put your Crocs on, because we are going on an adventure, okay? Alright, we're gonna be out there. We're gonna be running through the woods and shit like that, okay? So, get those Crocs on, alright? So, without further ado, let's get into the story of Martha Moxley and how she was murdered, okay? So, our story takes place in 1975 in Greenwich, Connecticut, where a 15-year-old popular high school student named Martha Moxley lived at her home with her mom, Dorothy, her dad, David, and her brother, John. Now, the Moxleys lived in a very nice house in a very nice neighborhood called Bellhaven, which was an exclusive neighborhood with very little crime especially violent ones. So in other words, that's like a nice way of putting it. They live in a gated community with a bunch of rich folks, okay? That's where they live, all right? Now, in this very rich neighborhood, another family also played a huge role in this murder that we'll, that we will dive into a little bit later in the story, give you more of a backstory on them and stuff like that. But just for context, the Moxley's neighbors were the Skakels. And the Skakels actually have a tie to U.S. history, and they're tied to one of the biggest assassinations in the world. The assassination of the Kennedys, like I said in the intro, okay? Yes, the Moxleys were neighbors to a family that had Kennedy ties. The Moxleys' neighbors were the cousins to Ethel Skakel and Robert F. Kennedy. So Ethel Skakel has a brother that this, the brother's family is what we're talking about right now, okay? And his sister married Robert F. Kennedy, the one that got assassinated after his brother JFK got assassinated, all right? So just let that sink in for a moment, okay? And think about that for a little bit, and we will come back to that, all right, later on in the story, okay? But right now we're going to go through Martha and her whole backstory on her, on how, whoa, I'm talking too fast. We're going to go through the backstory on Martha and her family, okay? So, Martha was born on August 30th, 1960 and grew up in Piedmont, California with her obvious family that I just introduced you guys to. And they lived there all the way up until 1974 where her parents decided to move their whole fucking family all the way across the goddamn country to Greenwich, Connecticut in said rich neighborhood. Now, Martha was an extremely good kid, okay? She got straight A's. She played basketball. She was voted best personality in middle school. And she made friends very easily. Very much um, like 
a kid that you'd want as a child. Very just perfect, no issues with said kid. They don't go out and do batshit crazy things, alright? Now, this little girl had the best youth anyone could ask for, okay? Until it was robbed from her on October 31st, 1975, a.k.a. Halloween, a.k.a. The Dead Rising, a.k.a. just all spooky things come to life. Now, remember how I mentioned the Skakel family earlier? Well, Martha was friends with Michael and Thomas Skakel, and they are the sons of Rushton and Ann Skakel. And Thomas and Michael also had like five other fucking siblings. This family is fucking massive. First off, I don't know why you'd want to have so many fucking kids. Like, you know how much fucking money that is? Like, I would love to have maybe one, two, three kids, but like five, I don't know how people did it with like 10, 15 kids. Like that is fucking insane. That is an amount of money that like just, yeah, that's a shit ton of money. I don't know how people do that. I really don't. I really like, I alone am an expensive liability. Okay. Like I don't get, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get why or where that money comes from and why they want that many kids, but it I guess it happens. And as the grandparents, then you have to buy, like, so many fucking Christmas presents and birthday presents. Like, that's just too fucking much. Too fucking much, okay? And Rushton from earlier is the brother to Ethel. Like, the the guy that married, the not the guy, the woman that married Robert Kennedy the brother of J.F. Kennedy, and, you know, the whole assassination thing. I don't know why I'm reiterating it, but, yes, for the people that don't know, Robert and J.F.K. were both assassinated, okay? Now, the Skakel family was far from perfect, and I'm talking, like, they were on the complete opposite spectrum of, like, a happy family, okay? Michael Skakel would later tell reporters that his family had, what, had, what, this is funny, okay, I, I wrote this quote down, and I didn't realize how funny it was until, like, I reread it, and it's kind of funny, he said that his family had chronic illness, alcoholism, and a repressive Catholic moral and sexual outlook, I don't know why that's so funny to me, but I think that's so fucking hilarious, that is, priceless, okay, so his dad, Michael and Thomas's dad, Rushton, was always an alcoholic, but it really picked up and worsened after his wife Anne died of brain cancer in 1973, now, as a result of Michael's mom's death, not only did Rushton's alcohol problem worsen, but it would also, like, he would just leave his kids home alone on a regular basis with very little supervision and copious amounts of money that they would just fucking spend, okay? So, with very with this like very little supervision and all of this money, Michael would also come out and say an even more intense level of chaos came to rule our household. Now, Martha and her family 
only lived 150 yards from the Skakels, okay? And the Moxley family would come out and say that the Skakels always had a constant stream of teenagers in and out of their house due to the lack of supervision. So remember how I said earlier that Martha was friends with Tom and Michael? Well, let's just say they were a little bit more than friends. Not like a weird three-way kind of thing, but like feelings were being shared amongst the three of them. Specifically between Thomas and Michael. Not like they didn't have feelings for themselves. It wasn't like a weird incest thing, but they both had feelings for Martha. And Martha was like, hell no, brother. Get that shit away from me. I ain't doing this today, okay? Now, this trio almost hung... Well, they didn't really hang out every single day, but they hung out enough to the point where they were best friends, a pretty regular basis, okay? Now, Martha's 15, Tom was 17, and Michael was 15. So, since they were all around the same age... They were, and they were neighbors, they just hung out a lot, like, you know, normal people do, I guess, when you're around the same age as people, okay? I know that's what I did, alright? Now, where I lost my spot. So, since, you know, like, they were around the same age and they hung out consistently... One of the Skakel boys did, you know, like I said earlier, did catch feelings for the young Martha. And after she found this out, she would later write in her diary that um, would actually be used in the prosecution of Michael. Now, according to Martha, in her diary, she made references suggesting that Tom had made some very sexual advantage advantage not advantages sexual advances towards her on september 12th 1975 martha wrote dear diary me jackie michael tom hope marine and andra when driving in tom's car i was practically sitting on tom's lap because i was only staring he kept putting his hand on my knee then i was driving again and Tom put his arm around me too. He kept doing stuff like that. She also wrote another diary entry on September 19th, 1975, that Michael was totally out of it, that he was being a real asshole in his actions and words. He kept telling me that I was leading Tom on, when I don't like him, except as a friend. I said, well, how about you and Jackie? You keep telling me that you don't like her, but yet you're still all over her. He doesn't understand that he can be nice to her without, you know, hanging all over her. Alright? And later in this diary, she would also write down that she needs to stop going over to the Skakel's house because of said sexual advances, but she didn't. And because of her decision, well, not knowing the outcomes of her decision she would still keep going over there and it would ultimately lead to her, you know, death, her 
being, you know, just robbed of her childhood. And this brings us up to what happened on the night before Halloween, a.k.a. Hallow's Eve, a.k.a. October 30th, all right, which is Martha's murder. So, in Greenwich, there is a town tradition amongst the kids called Mischief Night. And it's where the teens in Greenwich would just run around and just prank houses, prank people. You know, it never really resulted in anything too serious or deadly. It was just basically kids being kids, having fun, TPing each other's houses, spray painting a penis on somebody's fucking driveway. True story, but we're not going to get into it because I have to ask him if I can even share that story on here. But yeah, it's, yeah. Just being typical teens, alright? But on this mischief night in 1975, things just fucking changed and murder was on the loose. It was prowling, looking for someone to take. Just, I don't know, just get in there, right? Just fucking shove a fist in their ass and use them as a puppet. That's what this Halloween was, Hallows, well, Hallows Eve was doing. It was just ready to just rob people of their life. Alright, so, as the story goes, this night, Martha went out with her friends just to raise some teenage hell, but she never came home, and by the time 4am hit, Martha's mom started getting worried, just like, you know, any loving parent would do, so, being the awesome mom that she is, Dorothy called all of Martha's friends to ask, like, where the fuck is she at? And unfortunately, Martha's friends had no clue what happened to Martha, except for one of them. Well, actually kind of too, because she was murdered by one of her friends. But the one friend that didn't murder Martha told Dorothy that she last saw Martha with Tom Skakel. Ooh, ooh, spooky, ooh, I wonder what happened, ooh. Well, we're about to get into it. So... As the next morning rolled around, a.k.a. Halloween morning, Dorothy went to the Skakel's house with this newfound information, you know, to get some answers. So, as Dorothy walked up to the Skakel's house, knocked on the door, knock, 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 rang the doorbell, bring, 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 Michael Skakel opened the door and said, Good morning, Dorothy. How are you? You know, how's it hanging? A little low and to the left? LOL sorry. And he was like, how can I basically help you on this fine, crisp autumn morning? But Dorothy was like, cut the bullshit, Mike. Where's my daughter? She was allegedly last seen with your brother, Tom. So tell me, where the fuck is she? What's up, Mike? What the fuck is up? All right. Then Sir Michael replied with, I'm sorry, but I don't know where the fuck she is. I haven't seen her. All right. That's basically what he told her. And then Dorothy was all upset because her daughter's missing obviously and she storms off and heads home now is this exactly how this interaction went probably not and i might just be embellishing a little bit just for comedic relief in this hard time in the story but as dorothy made it home and as she you know tried to relax as much as she could she just couldn't you know she just couldn't like she was just freaking the fuck out obviously like i would be and I lost my spot. Give me two seconds. I got to find it again. Where the fuck are you? 
Okay. Yes. Here we go. And she just couldn't relax. And her worst nightmare was about to come true because by early Halloween afternoon, Martha's friend Sheila came over to the Moxley's house. And at the very edge of the Moxley property, Sheila found Martha face down under a pine tree with blood covering her clothes. Martha also had her pants and her underwear pulled down to her ankles. And right next to Martha laid a six iron golf club. That and right next to her laid a six iron golf club that was used to bludgeon her to death. Now Martha was hit so fucking hard and so many times with said golf club that it literally broke into three pieces and one of those broken pieces was used to stab Martha in the neck. Now after Martha was found, Sheila ran to the, you know, Moxley house where she told Dorothy what she had found and they called the police. Now when the police arrived, they opened up an investigation like, you know, usual and started questioning witnesses. They also sent Martha's body to the autopsy team to be, you know, autopsied on and they found that Martha was thankfully not sexually assaulted, okay? So, I just burped. So, during Martha's investigation, the police first and quickly found out that the Skakels had a Tony Pena golf club set because the reason they found this out was because on the handle of that golf club, it had Tom's, yeah, Tom's and Michael's mom's name written on it. It had Ann Skakel written on it, right? And so they went first and they went and questioned them. And when they walked through the house, they noticed that that six sign was mitching, what the fuck, missing from that golf club set. And upon further investigation, like I said earlier, they realized that the murder weapon had, you know, Ann Skakel, you know, her name was engraved on the golf club. So obviously this made Tom and Michael their main suspects since they were the last ones to see her. So the police and doing what they do first questioned Tom. And Tom told them that, you know, he last saw her outside his house at 930 where they said goodbye to each other. Then after they said goodbye, Tom went inside and watched the French Connection with his family's new live-in tutor, Kenneth Littleton. All right. After the movie was finished, Tom then said he went up to his room to work on an Abraham Lincoln report. And that was it. After that, it was done, all right? So after hearing Tom's alibi, they went to Tom's school and questioned his teachers. And they ultimately denied ever giving a school report. So because of the teachers denying said report, the police brought Tom in for a lie detector test. And after taking the lie detector test, he passed. So they ruled him out as a suspect and moved on and started questioning the new live-in tutor, Kenneth Littleton. Okay. Now, Kenneth wasn't officially interviewed by detectives until the fall of 1976, 
a year after Martha was murdered and when, you know, people were being questioned. So when they started, you know, talking to Kenneth, he told detectives that he had no idea who Martha was. And on that night, it was his first time at the Skakel home. Now, being the police and being unconvinced by his alibi, they brought Kenneth in for a lie detector test and he failed horribly. Not once, not twice, but several fucking times. Now, I really couldn't find through my research on why they ruled him out as a suspect, but they did, okay? Don't ask me why I couldn't find it. Don't ask me how I didn't find it, but they, they just, they ruled him out as a suspect, okay? So, now that we, you know, got him out of the way, we're going to jump back in time to 1975 when the police interviewed Michael. Michael said detectives, well, Michael told detectives that he left his house at 9.15 p.m. to go to his cousin's house and didn't get home till around 11 p.m. And after that, you know, he's like, I just went to bed. Nothing else happened. And after his alibi, the case went cold for nearly two decades and wouldn't pick back up until 1991 where the cops heard a rumor that William Smith Kennedy had been involved with the murder, which was shortly debunked, and we'll get into it a little bit later on why it was debunked. But it did bring Martha's case back into the limelight, and this time Michael became the prime suspect again. Now at this point, their father is extremely upset and and he hires two private investigators to help him clear his family's names and just hope that these two investigators, Jim Murphy, who is a former FBI agent, and his assistant, Willie Billy Krebs, a former NYPD lieutenant, will come forth with new information and new suspects, okay? But this plan royally screws up, and he fucked himself and his family so hard. Like just no lube, going in there raw, dry, just just fucking jamming it in there. It's like jamming, I don't know, a carrot into a lock, right? That's how just, just fucked he got, right? The two investigators first interviewed Tom, where he says, you know, remember where he said it was 9.30 p.m.? Well, he lied, and yeah. He said it was actually more closer to 10. Now, Tom also told investigators that before he went inside, him and Martha engaged in mutual masturbation outside of his home. And it was at that point where Tom's lawyer cut the interview because, you know, according to Krebs, Tom began to cry as he was admitting these weird and creepy actions. Okay, now... Is that weird? Doing it out in public, mutual masturbation? Oh, hell yeah. Don't, why, just do it in the fucking house, okay? You weirdos, you little teenage pervs, all right? It's not as bad as what Michael says, all right? Michael is fucking gross, okay? Now, after their interview with Tom, they interviewed Michael. And Michael, I like, I know I just said it's fucking creepy, but this is really, really fucking creepy. And it's... Yeah, it's just fucking weird. Michael told the two investigators 
that he actually didn't go to bed after getting home from his cousin's house. And he decided to go to Martha's house where he then climbed a tree and masturbated right outside of Martha's window. Fucking disgusting. Weird and creepy. Like, ew. That is like serial killer pedophilia type shit. Disgusting. God, I'm gonna have to go rinse my mouth out after even just saying that. That is so fucking gross. Ew, Michael. Ew, okay? Now, after learning that the two boys had lied about their whereabouts, author and journalist Dominic Dune got a hold of their report and passed it on to State Inspector Frank Gar, who was the previous detective working on Martha's case. Frank Gar would say that he was always suspicious of Michael, but his suspicions were dismissed, okay, because this report would give his theory new momentum. Then, in 1998, a one-man grand jury and investigator were assigned Martha's case, and upon further examining the evidence, which we will get to in a second, Judge George N. Thim ruled that there was enough evidence to convict Michael Skakel with Martha's murder, okay? Now, the evidence that got him booked for murder was basically a shit ton of witnesses saying that Michael confessed about the murder of Martha. Gregory Coleman, a former classmate, testified Mike... Well, relax. I gotta take it back a step, okay? Gregory Coleman, a former classmate, testified against Michael in a pre-trial in June of 2000, and he said that Michael said, I am going to get away with murder. I am a Kennedy. First off, Michael, you're not a fucking Kennedy. You're a family member to a Kennedy. You don't have Kennedy blood running through you. So cut your... No, you're stupid. You're dumbass. All right, fuck you, Michael. Coleman also went on to say... Michael made a comment that he was trying to make advances towards this girl and that this girl wasn't complying with those advances and thus he drove her skull in. Fucking creepy Michael. This is like a weird version of Michael Myers. Like the real version, I guess. Not as stabby, but fucking weird. Ew, Michael, you're disgusting. Ew. But unfortunately... Coleman wouldn't be able to return from Michael's murder trial in 2002 because Coleman died in August of 2001 due to a heroin overdose. Another piece of evidence that was used in Michael's murder trial came from a recording in 1997 when Michael was making an autobiography called A Dead Man Talking, A Kennedy Cousin Comes Clean, which is basically about the inner workings both politically and hold on, familial, familial, I think, of the myth-enshrouded Machiavellian and ruthless Kennedy clan, which, found that out, I didn't know there's a huge fucking conspiracy behind them other than the assassination, but there is, and we'll get into that a different day, but in this tape recording, you know, he told his ghostwriter, Richard Hoffman, some weird and unsettling and suspecting things. 
He told, he told Hoffman that on the night of Martha's murder, he was drunk, high on the za, and was sexually aroused. And when Dorothy came to his house the next morning to ask about, you know, Martha, he said he was still a little drunk and a little high from the night before. He reported having thought to himself, did they see me last night? And, you know, just, like, didn't want to get caught. I don't know why I started and did a huge, like, long pause. But he got nervous that, you know, he was getting caught. And Michael claimed that he was, yeah, literally what I just said. I don't know why I wrote it down twice. But prosecutors argued that Michael was actually referring to being seen beating Martha with the golf club. Michael's defense team countered saying that there was no physical evidence to convict Michael and that he had an alibi for when Martha got murdered, which was roughly around 10 p.m. according to the investigators. But nonetheless, the prosecution successfully painted a picture of a jealous teenager, you know, who had a crush on someone and was rejected by said crush and while being under the influence of alcohol, he got upset and murdered Martha with a golf club. Then, on June 7th, 2002, the jury found Michael Skakel guilty of first-degree murder and was sentenced to 20 years to life in prison. Sorry, I burped again. But the story doesn't stop there because in 2013... He was granted a retrial because the judge thought that he didn't have, um, what is it, like a good enough, ex not execution, a good enough, um, what is it, I'm trying to think of it, a good enough fucking defense team, there we go, so he didn't think that he had a fair trial, so he granted him a new one, right, and as he gets granted this new one, they found out that they didn't have enough witnesses to come and confirm about what he was talking about and all the wit, like what they were saying. So they, they basically let him go free because all the witnesses started dying and everybody was getting older and yeah. So he was out of prison. I think he's been out since 2014. I know officially of 2020, but I think he's been out since 2015. Okay. But yeah, he got out because all the witnesses started dying and nobody was talking. And yeah, Martha's mom thinks he did it and it's basically just a whole upset shit and just a bunch of bullshit, okay? I think, I don't know if he did it, all right? I want to say, you know, he did it, but I don't think he did it. I just wanted to say he did it because he was masturbating in a tree while watching a girl, even though they're the same age, but still, it's fucking weird, Okay. I hope he, I want him to go back to jail just for that specific thing because it's fucking creepy. But yeah, he's out now. I don't know if he's still alive. Um, I don't know why my notes cut off so quick, but they did. Because I was going to tell you guys the whole fucking story about like, yeah. But he's out. He's been out since between 2015 and 2020. And he got lucky. He got really, really lucky if he truly did do it. If he truly did do it, he's lucky, okay? That the witnesses just fucking died and everything. So fucking crazy. Alright. But. That is the end of the Halloween special. Okay. Tune in. Later tonight people. You're going to see it on my fucking Instagram story. The live. There will be a little link. It will say hey. 
This is the link to come watch me talk about cursed horror movies with Gabby and Tommy Columns. Okay? It's going to be fucking fun, people. Go out. Watch it. It's going to be awesome. You'll love it. I'll love it. I'll get to interact with you guys. You get to interact with us, and it's going to be fucking fun, okay? So, go to my Instagram, The Rainy Day Horror Show and Dusty McBalls. It will be in my story. It'll be on there, all right? Other than that, enjoy you guys' you know, Halloween, like I said in the last episode, okay? Get fucking fat on candy, all right? It's your day to pig out, all right? I love y'all. Deuces. Remember, stay frosty, stay foxy. And most importantly, the most important thing on this planet, stay safe, you beautiful peacocks. Mwah.